This part of 2 Samuel has to be taken in two parts. We're obviously part one tonight. And it goes into chapter 20 next time, putting it back together. Reassembling the kingdom after the civil war. And we looked through verse eight last time. So let's look in chapter 19. We start at verse nine. And this begins to describe David's return to Jerusalem. The king arose and sat in the gate and all the people were notified saying, behold, the king is sitting in the gate and all the people came before the king, but Israel fled every man to his tents. Okay, there's there's confusion because we've just come through a civil war here. How is the king going to respond to those who sided with Absalom, as so many of them did? There there continues to be this differentiation between Judah and the rest of the tribes. Of course, David is from the the tribe of, of Judah. And all the people argued with one another throughout all of Israel by saying, the king delivered us out of the hand of our enemies and he saved us out of the hands of the Philistines. And now he is forced to flee out of the land from before Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you all remain silent about returning the king? People were confused. Many, many people had rejected David in favor of Absalom. But Absalom is dead, and, and there's no, there's, there's, you know, there's nobody else except David. The other people begin to argue, and that we'll see at the end of this that the argument goes on. But the argument is from one side to this, kind of like a church split. You know, they, uh, they, they don't know how to take each other anymore. Um, King David sent to Zadok and to Abiathar. The priests saying, speak to the elders of Judah saying, why should, why should you be the last to return the king to his house? While the talk of all Israel has come to the king to return him to his house. You, that is David talking to Judah, you are my brethren. You are my own bone and flesh. Why then should you be the last to return the king? And Amasa said, or Amasa To Amasa you shall say, are you not my bone and flesh? So shall Elohim do to me and even more if you shall not be appointed captain of the host before me continually in Joab's stead. Now let's stop here for a minute. Amasa was the commander of the armies of Absalom. Joab has for a long time been the commander of David's armies. If you read other parts, and I won't go back and cover all of that, but there there was a, it was very special and it was quite uh, rewarding to be the commander of the armies. Joab had sided with David in the rebellion. It seems strange that He would take Amasa, who was his enemy under Absalom, and put him in Joab's place. If you consider all of the time of David's reign 
and the times that Joab has been mentioned, most of the time, Joab is seen as an opportunist. He would find ways to profit himself, uh, to aggrandize himself. He would, uh, he would find ways to make himself more important than he had been before. David is aware of this. He blatantly disobeyed David when he killed Absalom. Absalom was hanging by his head and probably his hair entanglement from a tree and he was helpless. There was nothing he could do. The king was very direct to his army that no harm should come to his son Absalom. Joab, however, totally disregarded uh, those orders. Now, there are other things previous to this that you can see where Joab was not as obedient to the king as he should have been. All of these things apparently have come together. And David considers that it's a good time and politically expedient to replace Joab with the guy who had been Absalom's commander of the armies. So he, he makes him captain of the host and he's, it's a permanent job and he is to replace Joab. Now, think back, Joab has shown himself to be a murderer. If somebody got in his way, he killed him. We have about four stories of that. Amnon, remember Amnon? He was in on a lot of that stuff. And then Absalom, of course. There were others as well. So Joab, it's time to replace him. This is a new day in Jerusalem. There is confusion, there's happiness, and there's dread. Those who opposed King David are filled with dread. They don't know what he's going to do. David has been known as a just king who didn't hesitate to kill those who were his enemies, put, put them to the sword immediately. Confusion because some people may not have understood when Absalom took the throne from David and then when it was too late found themselves in a, in a, a, a terrible situation. Then, of course, there was happiness because of all of the people who from the outset, even in the darkest days, had expressed uh, loyalty to King David. So David, what is David's approach going to be? David's approach is to do all that he can do to bring the kingdom back together. And he'll make some difficult decisions to do that. But reconciliation is uppermost on his mind and not revenge, which pretty much shows itself uh, to be in his favor because he's really in the last few years of his reign as king anyway. Shimei, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, who was from Bahurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David and a thousand men of Benjamin were with him, Ziba the servant, uh, 
And his 15 sons, a servant of the house of Saul, his 15 sons, 20 servants were also with him. And they split the Jordan before the king. All right, so this is the guy who was not kind to David when David was leaving. But he comes with all of these people from Benjamin and he, he comes showing how many people are with him and he comes hoping that the king doesn't hold against him what he did. Now, Shimei is the guy who threw stones at the king when he was leaving, threw rock, cursed him, <coughs> said horrible things to him, threw rocks at him. Joab said, or one of the captains said, why don't we put up with this? Just turn me loose. I'll go stick a sword through this guy. We'll shut him up. David said, no. The Lord is sovereign and he has him there to remind me of who I am and what I've done. So, so David took it easy on him and now he's going to pardon him. And through this pardon, he's going to be pretty much bringing general amnesty to those who were on Absalom's side. Shimei, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite who was from Bahurim, hurried down, came with his men. And uh, he came to meet King David, a thousand men of Benjamin, worthy him, Ziba the servant. They split the Jordan. Barge crossed over. Here we go. A barge crossed over to bring the king's household across and to do what would be pleasing in his eyes. And Shimei, the son of Gerah, fell down before the king when he was crossing the Jordan. So now he is subservient. Same guy who was throwing rocks and cursing comes and falls down before the king. And he said to the king, do not let not my Lord impute iniquity to me. nor remember that which your servant sinned on the day that my Lord, the king went out of Jerusalem to the degree that the king should take it to his heart. In other words, hey, let's just let be bygones be bygones. Let's forget that day. Let's don't remember that day. For your servant knows that I have sinned and I have therefore come this day as the first of all the house of Joseph to go down toward my Lord, the king. Oh, he's just full of it, isn't he? Um, he refers to himself as the house of Joseph, of being from the house of, of Joseph. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, responded and said, in exchange for this, shall Shimei not be put to death for having cursed Yahweh's anointed? David said, what is it between me and you, sons of Zeruiah, that you should become a hindrance to me today? In other words, David says, won't you mind your own business? What's this got to do with me and you? This is between me and this guy over here. Otherwise, you keep meddling in these affairs. And, you know, there's no saying if I stick my nose in the business, I get my face slapped. Um, and that's what's happening here. These guys are just, they're, they're too invasive into David's personal business. So he says, shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I'm king over Israel? Don't you know that I'm the king? What has just happened? What have they just come from? They have just come from a great slaughter. 
of Israelites. Thousands and thousands of dead men who were Israelites. And they dared to come against David. And David won a mighty battle. He won a great a battle there. And just in a short time frame, the rebellion was put down. And so David is essentially saying, haven't we had enough death today in Israel? Why should we continue to kill? Am I going to be any more king over Israel if I killed this guy than I am right now? No. So the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. Let me tell you what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to think about this for a minute. Because about nine or ten years later, David is on his deathbed. Solomon is the one who has been appointed to take his place. And Solomon comes in to check on his dying father, David. David grabs him and he says, I want you to, I want you to take, I want you to listen closely. And he gives him a litany of things that he should remember to do, to be aware of. And then he said, and I want you to take your sword and kill Shimei. <laughs> so, you know, beware of a politician's mercy, I guess. I don't know. Uh, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. So the guy couldn't die as long as King David lived. But David says to Solomon, when I'm dead, you kill that guy. <laughs> we'll get there one of these days. Mephibosheth. We're talking about Saul's household here. Mephibosheth, son of Saul, came down towards the king. He had not washed his feet, hadn't trimmed his mustache, his clothes weren't washed from the day of the king's departure until the day that he came back in peace. Now that was supposed to be a good thing. He never washed his feet, didn't wash his clothes the whole time because he was in mourning, he was grieving. And it came to pass when he came to Jerusalem towards the king that the king said to him, why had you not gone with me, Mephibosheth? <laughs> I think the first thing I would have said was, we'll talk in a few minutes. Go take a bath and wash your feet. Um, put some clean clothes on. But the first thing the king thought of was that Mephibosheth apparently showed himself to be less than loyal to the king because he didn't join the throngs of people who left with king, the king. And he said, my Lord, the king, my service is kind of a lame excuse. I don't know. My servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle me a donkey so that I may ride on it and accompany the king since your servant is lame. And Mephibosheth was lame. You may recall. And he slandered your servant to, Lord, to my Lord, the king. But my Lord, the king is like 
is like the king, the, the, the king of angels. He's like, he's like an angel king. So do what is good in your eyes. You're like a messenger. You're like an angelic, a royal angelic messenger. So since you are like a royal angelic messenger, whatever you say is going to happen. That's pretty good schmoozing because here's the deal. Whatever the king, it didn't matter what this guy said. Whatever the king said was going to happen was going to happen. So you may as well play up to him, right? I was deceived. I had every intention of getting on my donkey and come and join the exodus of people who were loyal. But I was slandered and now you are like a royal angel, a royal messenger. And so do therefore what is good in your eyes. He's going to have to accept David's verdict anyway. He may as well say those things to him. But indeed, the king of Israel was looked upon as, as a as the angel of, of the Lord, as an angel from heaven, a royal angel who was supposed to be endued with the spirit of God for leadership to make the right decisions. Now to keep him in check were the prophets. There were prophets, priests, and the king. That was pretty much the triad of, of uh, checks and balances in the theocracy that was known as Israel. So the king, as long as he didn't violate the law of Moses, and as long as a prophet could not arise and bring some charge against the king, that, uh, that his decisions were unjust because of hypocrisy or sin. or what, Well, that's what Nathan the prophet did with King David. So... People indeed looked at him as a, a royal messenger, uh, like an angel from, from heaven. Do therefore what is good in your eyes. For all of my father's house were nothing more than deserving of death at the hands of my Lord the king. Yet you placed your servant among them that eat at your table. What more right have I to appeal further to the king? You may recall way back, several chapters way on back, David asked the question, is there anybody left? of the house of Saul that I can help. And at one point in time, it appeared as though there would be no one left of the house of Saul. We talked about it way back in 1 Samuel. But the reintroduction of the house of Saul in this case is to give us a contrast between law and grace. And so... Grace captures this crippled man who's actually the son of Jonathan. And at, back then, David said, you have a place at my table for the rest of your life. But he wasn't there with the loyalists when King David left. What more right have I to appeal further 
to the king. And the king said to him, why do you speak further concerning this matter? I say, you and Ziba divide the land. Now that's an adjustment on what he had said earlier. But Mephibosheth, now older but still crippled, is unable to work the land. So really, if you think about it, it was profitable for both men. Mephibosheth could still enjoy certain returns from the farming of the land and Ziba would have land that he hadn't had before. Mephibosheth said to the king, let him take it all now that my lord the king has arrived safely to his house. That was the right thing for him to say and it really didn't matter. He was provided for at the king's table for the rest of his life anyway. So he knew that this would be the correct thing, the correct attitude for him to take. Now it comes Barzillai, the Gileadite, came down from Rogalim. He crossed the Jordan with the king in order to escort him across the Jordan. And Barzillai was a very old man, 80 years old, and he had sustained the king when he stayed at Mahanim, for he was a very great man. And the king said to Barzillai, you come over with me and I will sustain you with me in Jerusalem. I'm going to give you the best retirement program you have ever had. This old man who cared for him back at the time of rebellion of Absalom. Barzillai said to the king, how many are the days of my life that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I'm 80 years old this day. Can I still discern between good and bad or can your servant taste what I eat and drink, or can I still listen to the voice of singers and songstresses? Why then should your servant be yet a burden to my Lord the King? A short way shall your servant go past the Jordan with the King, but why should the King recompense me with such reward? Allow your servant, please, to turn back so that I may die in my own city by the grave of my father and mother. Here, however, is your servant, Chimham. Let him go over with my Lord the King and do him what is due to him, do to him what is good in your eyes. And the king said, Chimam shall go over with me, and I will do to him what seems good in your eyes. Now anything that you shall request of me, I shall do for you. All the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over, and the king kissed Barzillai, and he blessed him, and he returned to his place. I suppose Barzillai is being rational about it. He has his home. He's not going to live that much longer. So he can settle into where he was. But he, he extends that blessing to another. And that one takes his place in the reward of, uh, of David. And then this is the part that actually leads us into the next chapter, but we won't get that far tonight. I have, I've probably said this before. I have served churches where, I'll keep checking with Pat. If she shakes her head, I will have gone too far. Where 
on one side of the aisle were the Hatfields, on the other side were McCoys. For no apparent good reason. We figured out, I don't know, to talk about color of decor maybe going too far. Okay. I won't go that far. But it was like what I read in the pastor's guidebook written by W.A. Criswell when he went to First Baptist. I think it was some big church in Oklahoma. Maybe in Oklahoma. It was the church before Dallas. He had been told about the tremendous division that there had been in the church in the previous generation over what side of the stage to put the organ. The church was divided, split, and the leader of one group who, and I can't tell you if he wanted it on the right or left side, I don't know, but he was an elderly deacon who couldn't get out anymore and all he could do was spend his time in his rocking chair and he had a walking stick that he'd help himself up where he could walk a little bit and get back in his rocking chair. And Criswell, as part of his pastoral duties, would go on a regular basis to visit the, <laughs> the once powerful magnate of the church, this particular deacon. And he went the first time, but he'd already heard about the church split some years earlier over where to, <laughs> over where to put the organ. Criswell, being young and full of spit and fire, thought he would bring it up. <laughs> he said, oh, Brother Deacon, I heard about what a tremendous, righteous battle you led with regard to where to put that organ. Criswell said the man became very animated and loud in his talking and started started banging his cane on the floor, reliving the moment. <laughs> and after this tirade from this elderly deacon was over, there was a brief pause and Criswell said, now brother, refresh my memory. Which side of the stage was the organ placed? And the guy froze up. He couldn't remember. <laughs> the deal was that if brother so-and-so and his group wanted it on one side, then that had to be unacceptable. And so this particular deacon and his group had to have it on the other side. That reminds me of uh, times past. People, you know, getting in quarrels, God's people getting in arguments and quarrels uh, about things. And uh, it's, it's never a pleasant thing to go through. I'm sure I've, I've, I've told the story about how it was a business meeting. Pastor always 
moderates business meeting. I, always, I told you I had, to, I had to have the Bible in one hand and Robert's rules of order in the other. And especially at this particular church, somebody was always bringing something up. And I just kind of wanted to crawl into the pulpit sometimes when certain people stood up in new business. So the church that very night had just voted unanimously. This was a lot of money back then to spend $300,000 to build a family life center. 29,000 square feet. It was a glorious occasion. We needed the space. Then, if only we could have stopped the business meeting right there. Everybody's so happy. We're going to make this building. We're going to have more room for our kids, our nursery and fellowship hall. We're going to have 29 new classrooms and all this stuff. Then, you know, there, there are some people who are just, well, this man actually came to see me when I first went to this church, introduced himself, and he said, I'm going to tell you something. Okay, I was young in my late 20s. He said, I'm an againer. Okay, he said, I'm again everything. I don't care what it is, I'm again it. Sure enough, he, he was a prophet. <laughs> so he stood up that night and I thought, oh, holy Moses. <laughs> yes, brother. I want to know what we're doing with the money that comes out of the Dr. Pepper machine. The manager of Pepsi-Cola Bottling Company was a member of our church. He gave the church a Dr. Pepper machine. We would buy the product at wholesale. He would make sure of it. And then they'd set that thing somehow where you'd sell it at retail. So there was a little profit in there. It averaged about $4 a week. Keep in mind, we had just spent $300,000, no problem. $4 a week, about sometimes $3.85. Oh, on a good day where we had a youth thing or something, it might be $5 in that thing that was profit. <laughs> you know, who in the world could care? I think, I don't even know, but I think it was just going in as an offering into the church, you know, just... Like going to the general fund. He said, well, I want to know where that money goes. Well, I had to call on the treasurer. And the treasurer said, well, it just goes into the deposit, you know, whenever we, whenever we clean that thing out. Um, immediately somebody else stood up. That money should go to the youth program, go to the youth department. Somebody else stood up. No. We need it in the children's department. We have too many supplies in the nursery. and oh. Somebody else stood up. No, we should put it in the cooperative program. Well, there was about six. And then, man, 
just like all Beelzebub broke loose that night. No, missions, no, youth. I mean, you think I'm kidding, am I kidding? You were there. They were getting red-faced and then purple-faced, and I'm telling you, I didn't know what to do. Thankfully, the dear brother, he was a wonderful man. He's one of our deacons. He's a great guy. The dear brother who was the manager of Pepsi-Cola stood up. His first name was Bill. Brother Bill, pastor, I'm going to settle the issue. And I'm going to take our Dr. Pepper machine back to the company. Then everybody got, <laughs> man, lost, lost about $16 a month just like that. <laughs> he did. I was the next there, the next one. He sent a truck out there and they, man, they strapped that thing up and took it out of there. Uh, and we lost our Dr. Pepper machine. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem. Same thing is happening. There's a giant Dr. Pepper machine here. And the people are going to quarrel about who gets to bring the king back. <laughs> and the king went over to Gilgal. That's a good place. That's where all kinds of rededications were made. That's where they started recircumcising the men when they came across under Joshua and that's where Samuel went to rededicate himself. And so it's like a rededication for the king. He's coming back into the throne. So he's at Gilgal and come on, come on, went over with him. And all the people of Judah brought the king over. But only half the people of Israel. Uh-oh. And behold, all of the men of Israel. came to the king and they said to the king I was at a church once beautiful church and the beauty and glory of the kitchen and the the, the, the fellowship hall and all that stuff would always be left in disarray because people were always wanting to get married at that beautiful church. It's a beautiful church. So the church voted, the deacons recommended and formed a committee of ladies to come up with a wedding policy. Okay. They brought their report at one business meeting, left copies for everybody to look at, and it just simply put order. If you know you were responsible for whatever you took, and that went for anybody that used the building, and so it just seemed kind of commonsensical to me. <laughs> but what do I know when it comes to common sense and business meetings? So They had a month to look at it. 
And the next Wednesday night came to complete the business meeting for the matter had been tabled for people to study and vote then on the wedding policy, which to me seemed like a no-brainer, easy thing. Deacon chairman came to me that day, Wednesday afternoon, pastor. I'm expecting a little bump in the road tonight. I just want you to be aware. So we had the businessman called it to order. There were more people in that sanctuary that night than on any Easter morning that I had ever been there. I'm not kidding. Am I right? I thought, my word. And I have to say two-thirds of them, I didn't even recognize them. Didn't know who they were. But they were a unit of people, okay? They were a Family, they were okay. They were a family group. Yeah. But this time, this family blew everybody out of the water. You had like nine to one. So I said, well, we've had a motion that comes from a committee, requires no second. We've had a discussion, and we're going to take a vote tonight. All in favor of the wedding policy, would you raise your right hand? <laughs> A sprinkling of hands. If you are opposed, that's all I had to get out of my mouth. Whoosh! I mean, <laughs> it created a wind <laughs> with the mass of hands that went up in the air. And I said, <laughs> the report from the committee to create this wedding policy is defeated. <laughs> I couldn't, I, uh, I didn't want to preach. I said, let's just sing a song and be dismissed. And we left. And I got my deacon chairman after church. I said, I think you should have been a little more detailed about this before you just might have a little bump in the road tonight. So here's the little bump in the road, right? Here we go. All the men of Israel came to, now remember, what does it say up there? Half the people of Israel, but now all of them, all the men of Israel came to the king. The half that were there aren't happy because the other half of Israel wasn't happy. You accomplished what you were going to do. You brought the king back. It was, a, it was a good thing. It was like a parade. That wasn't good enough. And all the men of Israel came to the king and they said to the king, why did our brothers, the men of Judah, steal you away by having brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all of David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is near to me. Furthermore, why are you so angered over this matter? Have we eaten of the king or has any present been gifted us? Did we get a payback on this? The men of Israel answered the man of Judah, 
And he said, I have 10 parts in the king. 10 tribes. I have 10 parts in the king. And I'm therefore closer to David than you are. Why then did you slight me? Now was not my word the very first to return my king? And the words of the men of Judah were harsher than the words of the men of Israel. Here's what that means. Judah won the vote. They were meaner. They were harder. And they made their point. But the story doesn't end here, but we're going to have to take it up next time with the next chapter. And we're going to have our deacon prayer time.